Well, good morning. It's good to see you all. It's good to be here with you. And I'm especially glad to see um, all of the extended family members and people that are here to be with us for our dedication this morning. And for all of you that are here that have ever had a child or have a child or thinking about the possibility that that might be a good idea someday, I just got one question for you. Have you ever considered giving that child back to God? I know you're looking at the title of the sermon this morning and going, I didn't know that I could do that. I didn't get a receipt for it. I I thought he had a no-return policy on kids. That is not what I'm talking about, okay? What I mean is, is have you considered that the goal of being a parent is to give your child back to God? The truth is, though, I, for every parent out there, including yours truly, I think there have been times that we may have wanted to bundle up those kids, grab a receipt, and say, here, I've had it. You can have them back now. Uh, ministers are definitely not immune to this, by the way. Uh, I, have, I have a friend in ministry on Facebook quoting one of his three kiddos after a very trying day for their family. Um, and uh, it was near his wife's birthday, and so the oldest one asked, so mom, what do you want for your birthday this year? And the exasperated mom kind of sarcastically said, how about three well-behaved children? And the youngest child, who evidently is very good at math but not good at catching subtlety, immediately piped up, but mom, then there would be six of us. Why would you want that? <laughs> awesome. I just loved it, okay? I laughed really, really hard at that one, okay? Let's be real, though. The culture that we live in often views kids as liabilities. Our birth rates are down across the country, and the age of a person finally deciding to have their first child is significantly older than even a decade ago. Kids cost money, kids take time, kids take attention, and we don't have enough of any of those things already. And the trap that we might be tempted to fall into, even as people that put Christ high, is that kids are a difficulty to surmount a challenge to overcome in our day-to-day living. And we would never say that out loud, but there are those quiet moments of desperation that we may think, my life would be so much easier if. And here's the thing, though. God seems to look at children in the exact opposite manner. I mean, if, you know, the, 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 the story that Diane read this morning, it's, it's obvious that Jesus believes that children are an exceptionally valuable resource because they are his children, right? And, and not, just to be, not just to be used, but to be loved. They are, they are examples of receptive faith. They are images of the Father's love, and they are precious to him. And for the psalmist in Psalm 127, children are like arrows of light against the darkness of the world, and as parents, we hold them tightly, and then we launch them truly as disciples. That's kind of the image that you get in that psalm. For Abraham, for Sarah, for Elizabeth, for Mary, and for countless others, a child is the tangible answer to the faithfulness of God, the answer to pleading prayer and longing for righteousness. The story we read in 1 Samuel of Hannah is one of my favorite stories because there are elements of my life wrapped up in that story. Like Hannah, my mother was given a great desire for children, but also given a physical inability to bear children. And, And... And Hannah's prayer was her prayer. That if God would give her a child, she would gladly do her best to give that child back. And that was a fact that she reminded me of many, many times in my life. Sometimes it was during good times, and sometimes it was 
when she was putting the screws to me about my behavior or my schoolwork, okay? Right? You know, I was the answer to prayer, and she had a God-given charge to send me back to him as a godly young man. And then, of course, my dad would always chime in very quickly that if we needed to send me back a little earlier so I was in better condition, that that was okay. <laughs> Seriously, though. <laughs> but, but really, growing up, that shaped my self-image in a very, very significant way. Okay? The idea that to my parents, the thought of raising us was a holy thing. When so many other families around us were acting like it was just an ordinary thing. And do we see the raising of our kids as holy things? That brings me back around to my first question for us. Have you, whether your child is young or old, wherever they are in life stage, wherever you are at as a family, have you adopted this idea that children are something precious that we receive from God and yet become even more precious when we are about the business of returning them to him? I think that may just be the most revolutionary parenting idea we could ever embrace. Think about it. If you go to a bookstore, the shelves are crammed with how-to philosophies on parenting. But how many books do you see on why to parent? And yet the Bible makes it very, very clear. Why? Why? Because these precious things are yours and yet they do not belong to you they belong to god most high why do we do the things that we do because there is a greater underlying purpose of giving our kids back to the one who gave them to us i really appreciate that hannah has the realization that the child that she has isn't really hers in the first place she's merely a caretaker of samuel's soul god's the author and god's the owner of life she's just the caretaker and like any caretaker, she would never put herself in the place of the owner. But she speaks and acts for the owner for a time. And when we make the commitment to return our children to the Lord, we take on that role of caretaker. And now we measure our actions and words by God's authority instead of ours. In one sense, that's really, really freeing. Because now we're operating under the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not trying to parent all out by ourselves on our own. We have a greater purpose and a direction. And yet that also brings wisdom because now what we do is of a much greater importance and purpose, even more than just the inherent purpose present in raising another life to maturity. It's raising it to maturity for a purpose. And I also really appreciate that in the story of Hannah, she never stops loving God more than she loves Samuel. I can't imagine how hard it would be having received the fulfillment of her prayers to then turn around and fulfill her promise by returning him to the Lord. In youth ministry, I often saw one consistent difficulty among those that I worked with. When it came to difficult parenting decisions, parents would often let the fear of what the child would think of them overshadow their duties as caretakers of that child. And I often struggle with this idea myself of wanting to be loved and liked by my kids and yet having to pair that up with the greater realization that I'm not the one that they're going to ultimately I'm, they're not the ones that I'm going to ultimately answer to for how I raise them uh, Hannah doesn't neglect Samuel by any means in this story on the contrary she thinks of him every day as she's weaving these new robes for him every year that she takes to him during the sacrifice 
She's not an absent parent. Not, not, not in the spiritual sense. She's very, very much involved in him, but has decided that her devotion to God is even greater than her devotion to her child. And because of that, she's actually a very devoted mother. It's very interesting how the temptation is to move those things out of order when God places them in a very, very significant order. The best way for us to love our kids well is to love the Lord with everything that we have. And out of that will come the love and the strength that we need in order to raise our children. I think the thing that impresses me about Hannah is that she knows she's going to be proved faithful by God about how she committed Samuel to him more than any other way that she might be proved as a good parent. And how fortunate we are that we get to do that and we still get to have our kids in our household while we do it. In contrast, it becomes evident in the narrative that Eli, the priest, has allowed the opposite to happen with his children. God calls him straight on it in 1 Samuel 2.29. Why do you honor your sons more than me? It's pretty plain language. And that's a really sobering realization for us as parents who might be tempted to let our love for our kids outweigh our love for God and his righteousness. But I'm not done with Eli yet. I want to focus a little bit more on Eli because I think there is an important part of the story that we might miss if we just see a contrast between his sons and Samuel and that's the only part of the story we see. Let me me say something. Eli's not a bad parent. Eli's a human parent. All right? And he makes mistakes and the Bible doesn't shirk around his mistakes but it also doesn't support the pop psychology that our behavior is all wrapped up in the failing of our parents either. If you look at the narrative that we read this morning, Eli shoots straight with his sons about putting God first in the life that they're called to live, and they failed to do so, not because of his mistakes, but because of their own hearts. Our mistakes do not automatically equal failed kids, nor do our successes mean good kids. We are caretakers, and the author and the perfecter of their life is ultimately the one that they answer to, just like he's ultimately the one that we answer to. And we've got to keep those things in perspective. And I know so many parents, mine included, that tend to wrap up their value as parents in the faithful or unfaithful choices of their adult kids. And God keeps those things in their place. We each have our own responsibility before God. And the one thing Eli does very right in this story is that he does not excuse his kids out of his own regret. And this allows Eli to do something really critical in the story of Samuel. It allows him to be open to being a holy voice in Samuel's life, even though he is a voice that's not Samuel's parent. Imagine if Eli's mistakes made him so beat up with regret that he couldn't pass on any wisdom both in what he did right and what he did wrong. What would have happened there? On the night that Samuel starts hearing the voice of the Lord in 1 Samuel 3, and he comes to Eli, who would have guided him? What if Eli hadn't had the courage, in spite of his mistakes, to be a voice, to give his wisdom? What would the story have looked like? Would our story have changed from Samuel, the faithful prophet, To Samuel, the crazy guy with voices in his head, because he doesn't know what to make of him. Because he doesn't have any wisdom to guide him. Who knows? But God uses Eli 
in spite of his previous mistakes in parenting because Eli's honest with himself and he's open to sharing in the task of raising children, even the ones that aren't his. Today, we're celebrating our newborn children this year. And we have a ton of them. It's great. Like leading a big cohort of kids up here. It's, it's awesome. I'm loving it. But there's more to what's happening today than, ju- today than just celebrating. We as parents and families and we as a church are publicly declaring our intent to return them to the Lord. For those of us who are parents, I invite you, whether you're young or old, to recommit your children to God today. To embrace your role as that loving caretaker again. And to call the holy, call, and that call to holiness that God has placed in front of you. But I want you to also know you're not alone. Samuel was raised to holiness not by a singular righteous act of his mom, but by the constant influence of a community of faith. He was serving among them day in and day out among Eli and the priests, and that is how he grew, is as part of a community of faith. And that's the challenge to our parents, to me as a parent, to you as a parent. Let's make the most of every opportunity in the faith community. And to everyone in our extended families, all those parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and people that are here today, every individual in this church, every individual that calls themselves a part of Shelburne Street or calls themselves a member of the body of Christ at large, wherever you are, in whatever role you are, may we witness these dedications and add our commitment to see these children flourish in the Lord. Maybe today you're like Hannah before the altar of the Lord with an unfulfilled desire to pour yourself into a child. Maybe you're like Eli today. You've been down this road, you've had your successes, you've had your failures, and you have wisdom to share. I want you to consider these precious lives, my daughters among them, that God has placed in your midst. They desperately need people to help them discern the voice of the Lord in their lives. And I crave you to be among the people that speak into the lives of my sons and daughters. I'm committing myself today to do that, but I'm also asking for your help to help me commit my children to the Lord and return them today. And that's what we're really doing when we dedicate these kids today. And so we come together in this special time to thank God for the gift of our children and to publicly confess our desire to make them a gift that we can return to him that they may gladden his heart with their lives.